0: moment for a message based on each part of the readings today. So we have five readings we're looking at. First reading is going to be about Moses. So the children this week got to learn about Moses. They got to learn about Elijah. They learned about Isaiah, John the Baptist, and then the greatest of all prophets, Jesus. So we'll begin by looking at Moses as we just had our reading from Exodus chapter 3. And sometimes we wonder, what does it take for the Lord to get our attention? Some of us have a very sensitive conscience and maybe you've had children who you just need to look at them a certain way and they will spill all the beans of what they did. But then you might have another child who, no matter how much you pry, it's like a steel trap. And you need to use maybe a little bit more forceful methods as one elder told me the greasy two by four. But if you want to get somebody's attention, maybe you're thinking of, how do I get the attention of the police? Or how do I get the attention of my parents when they're not listening? One thing you could always do is light something on fire. Now, kids, I want to tell you, don't try any of this at home. But the Lord, in order to get Moses' attention, And to get ours, lit something on fire. The reason we don't want to do this on our own is because when we light something on fire, it can be destructive. Fire creates a lot of energy. It can provide warmth, cooking, and so on. But it's also very destructive. And the Lord comes to Moses in a fire. A fire that is filled with energy and life, but also danger and destruction. But the miracle is the bush is not consumed. When the Lord says to Moses, I am who I am, he's teaching us that he is present with us now. And even though he is great and holy and mighty, and we have to take off our sandals to even approach him, he also does not consume us. So the first lesson is how he comes to us in the word of the Lord. And his word is his way of visiting our hearts, but not consuming us by his majesty. He speaks to us in his word. He gives us our pro- his promises so that even someone like Moses, who was so nervous to be called a prophet, can be chosen. And just as the Lord can visit each one of you, and no matter how nervous you might be, no matter how you might feel you aren't worthy or you haven't measured up, through Jesus Christ, he forgives your sins And he chooses you, people like you and me, to spread his word. We'll continue with the hymn for this first part you have in your service folder on page two. Our second lesson for this week, we learned about the power of the Lord. But power can seem deceiving. Prayer is one of the most natural instincts of all humans. And you might not realize that, but really built into us is this natural inclination to cry out for help, to cry out to this idea of God that exists. Some people might suppress that idea. Some people might deny it. But there is an instinct in every one of us. We see it in sailors. We see it in soldiers. and We especially see it in sufferers. But what doesn't come as naturally as praying to any old God is listening. If we're left to our natural inclination, then we'll continue to craft more and more golden calves because we don't know how to listen. By nature, we think the power comes from us, our power to pray, our power to be righteous, our power to be majestic. So the prophets of Baal were seeking after this outward idea of gaining God's attention by what they were doing. Now, this story from 1 Kings is stunning. It's probably one of the most vivid pictures of the Lord's power as he calls down fire from heaven to consume the altar in a time when there was a total drought. And there was uh, no, no water, Elijah puts extra water on the altar, and the fire consumes it all. But we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that for three years, God was apparently saying nothing. That God wasn't making himself known in this fantastic way, that there was a long period of silence. This week in our lessons, we had the kids lead off the devotion for the day with a skit. And so they would act out certain parts of these stories. And when it came to God, the way that they decided they would picture God was they had, and maybe the kids didn't all know this, there was actually somebody behind the curtain. So you'd hear this voice from behind the curtain. The voice that says, I am who I am. You know, God doesn't show himself to us in this vivid, visual way all the time we have these stories but right after this you have another story of elijah despairing because after all of these great events and this miracle nobody believed nobody actually followed the lord and he said i'm the only one left and it wasn't until elijah listened to the still small voice that he remembered who the lord is how he works So we might naturally call on God for answers, but this lesson, the power of the Lord teaches us, we also have to listen. The prophets knew the power of the Lord's promises, and so they delivered to those to us through Elijah and the rest of the prophets as we go forward. We'll continue with the next hymn. It's printed for you on page three, You Are the Way. our third lesson for today, we learned about the prophet Isaiah, one of the Old Testament books of the Bible that is most clear in portraying the difference between condemnation and comfort. I was talking with somebody about how when I was in India, they would take off their sandals before going into anyone's houses. So a custom in the East that we don't practice here is to take off your shoes, not just because of cleanliness, but also religious beliefs. So in the story of Moses, he takes off his sandals and he, he enters that holy space. So I was wondering, as I said to this other person, how our congregation would feel if we all had to take off our shoes before coming into the church. Would you feel comfortable doing that? Well, most of us probably would feel uncomfortable because we might not like looking at each other's feet. Uh, When is the last time you thought of feet as beautiful? And yet in Isaiah's prophecy here, he says that there are some beautiful feet that we should look at and pay attention to. Feet that could be seen coming from a long ways away and are beautiful because of what they bring and the message of the prophet. Not everything in Isaiah is beautiful, though. In fact, there is a clear ugliness that you see that had developed in the hearts of God's people. He says in the first chapter Ah, sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, they have forsaken the Lord. Your land lies desolate. Cities are burned with fire. And so Isaiah prophesied of the coming destruction, how the armies. Of other nations were going to come in and and conquer Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding places and leave them desolate. Leading the people off into a captivity that would last for 70 years of exile. So there was a lot of ugliness but by the time you get to chapter 52 you hear of the beauty. The beauty that is the hope of the prophets. So for the prophets they would always be concerned with getting to the heart of the matter. Getting to your heart. Preaching to the places in your life where sin has been laying hold of you. Then making things ugly for you in your mind or in your heart or in your life. And God dealing with that up front and cleansing it out. And he does this by bringing you the beautiful news. Isaiah is looking ahead to the hope of the Messiah the coming of Jesus and with Jesus coming is the beautiful message carried on the feet of the prophet so that beautiful evangel the good news of the evangelist is to bring that message over the mountains that victory has come Isaiah is picturing the message the messenger carrying that over the mountains to you who are in the valley of darkness and suffering and sin, and saying, the Lord is victorious and the victory is coming. We'll learn more about that victory and the coming of John the Baptist. We'll sing the next hymn. You have hark the voice of Jesus crying on page four. Well, the Bible is not PG rated. In fact, it's it's an R rated book. And some of you are probably out there saying, "What did you teach my kids in Vacation Bible School this week?" Well, I'm sure that the lessons that they were learning in the classroom had much more discretion to them, but you notice reading right out of the text, the Bible's not trying to tell a fairy tale. It's not it's of course decent but it still is being blunt about real life and we know real life isn't PG rated the Bible's dealing with real things and real events that happened and as you were comparing some of these lessons you might think yeah well I guess I can understand the prophets of Baal being executed for turning all the people away from the Lord and his kingdom but how many of you would have expected one of the prophets to be executed? It's quite sad and quite shocking to hear the story of John the Baptist end this way. After all, it started with such hope, such enthusiasm, coming down to the Jordan River, thousands of people flocking in to be baptized, to change their lives, to follow the Lord, and then even Jesus himself coming to the Jordan River and being baptized with a dove of the Holy Spirit coming down upon him and his father saying, my beloved son, it started with such hope and optimism. But the real story of our lives is that not all life goes that way. There are moments of optimism and hope, but then there are moments of sadness. Following the Lord is not a PG mission. And it can be shocking and difficult for us. Herod was fierce and scary, yet he recognized something in John that he respected. There was something in Herod's conscience that knew this man was true and right, and he was from the Lord. But Herod was a coward, and to save his own reputation, he carried out the execution of one of God's prophets. The disciples had to bury John how could they continue on with such threats of violence against them? Well, the church has always faced threats, has always faced opposition, and sometimes it's been violent. Yet John didn't shy, she didn't shy away from preaching the message. John's courage is a symbol for us to remember That even if there's suffering involved, even if there's difficulty that we are going to go through for believing the right thing, that God gives us courage to keep going forward. And the disciples of John kept on preaching. They kept on following the Lord because they knew there was a greater one coming. John said, I am not the Messiah. I must decrease and he will increase. We'll learn about the greatest prophet in our next lesson. We'll sing, I Walk in Danger All the Way on page five. In our last lesson for the week, we learned about the greatness of the Lord. John didn't spend his time pointing to himself. When John the Baptist preached, he pointed people to Jesus. John even said, I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. What was it that made Jesus so great? When you look at Jesus, you know you're looking at the greatest of all time, the goat. He is the greatest prophet, the greatest priest, the greatest king, the greatest man in our world. But when you look at him, you don't see greatness in famous speeches or riches and power or accomplishments. Most of what Jesus did was unknown and still is unknown to many. After being anointed with the Holy Spirit, he was sent out into the wilderness alone, where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. His greatness was not in how well he could be popular with the people, but how lowly he was. We hear in this story that John had just been arrested And Jesus knew they would come after him next. As a prophet, Jesus said he had no honor in his own country among his own people. He was despised and rejected. Most of his ministry was spent in the backwater villages of Galilee, not in the rich and powerful of Jerusalem. He went to Galilee, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali from the Old Testament, a place which was mixed with poverty, foreigners, pagan idolatry and a lot of ignorant and uneducated people. He went to fishermen, the least of society, smelly, dirty work of going out all night long fishing. These were not the people you would expect a great prophet to choose to continue his message, and yet these are the ones he chose and called to follow him. And so he calls more disciples, people from all sorts of life, all different situations, all different educations and classes and races, all different sorts of gifts. He calls people like you and me who are not great, and shouldn't think of ourselves as great. But we must be humbled by Jesus' message, his humility, and his love. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And he continues to on that path of greatness all the way to the cross, where Isaiah predicted he would suffer. And Isaiah said he would be the least of all men, bruised for our iniquities, The chastisement for what we've done was placed upon him, and a crown of thorns was on his head. But in his death and resurrection, he sends his spirit to us through the prophets, through the word, to show us that that is our redemption, and that is the greatness of our Lord.